The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This morning the Holy Spirit lays before us a passage from the Epistle to the Hebrews, the fourth chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, dear friends in Christ. In a historical novel set in the early 19th century, British author Bernard Cornwell describes how difficult it was to approach the throne of the King of England. If you had a suit or grievance or a petition to bring before the king, uh, there was a complicated ritual that you had to follow. First, you entered this awe-inspiring splendor of the royal courtroom, and then with all the eyes of the nobles and the courtiers staring at you, you would join a long line of petitioners, and you'd advance with your eyes lowered past a series of lines on the floor guided by the murmured instructions of a royal page. You'd move up incrementally, coming gradually nearer the throne, and when your turn finally arrived, you would approach the throne bowed down so low that you were almost on your hands and knees with your forehead nearly brushing the floor. Only at the bidding of the monarch could you rise and speak. You were never permitted to look directly at the king. Under no circumstances could you ever turn your back on the king. So when your audience was concluded, you had to leave the royal courtroom walking backwards and bowing repeatedly to the king. Well, many petitioners were so intimidated by all of this that by the time they reached the throne, they were struck speechless and often fled the court in fear. Majestic as was the court of King George III, however, there is one even more majestic by comparison, and that is the court of Almighty God. That's the court into which you walked this morning when you came here to chapel. In doing so, you find yourself faced by the mightiest of monarchs, one who holds not merely your life in his hands, but more than that, your eternal destiny whether or not you spend forever in paradise or in torment. If you find this prospect intimidating, you're not alone. Martin Luther is said to have been so intimidated by his first communion that he ran, actually ran out of the church in a panic. That's how awestruck he was at the prospect of approaching the throne of God and receiving the very body and blood of Christ. But he needn't have fled. And you don't have to run away either. In our text for today, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that in Christ, you can march confidently right into the throne room of Almighty God himself. That's why our theme is Christ emboldens us to approach the throne. Such a wonderful text that I read to you a moment ago. At the very outset, it immediately starts with terms that are tremendously comforting. It refers to Jesus, not by name, but by calling him our high priest. 
Obviously, the epistle to the Hebrews was directed at Jewish Christians, and they would immediately understand the powerful imagery of calling Jesus our high priest, who he is and what he does. In Old Testament times, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the most holy place in the tabernacle, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God's presence was. But he could not approach the mercy seat without blood. He was required to bring with him the blood of a sacrifice, blood that he would sprinkle on the mercy seat in symbolic propitiation of the sins of the people. Of course, Jesus was the real-life fulfillment of that Old Testament prophetic imagery. In chapter 9 of Hebrews, the writer expands on this when he says, Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So simply by calling Jesus our high priest, the writer of the Hebrews has already preached to us the sweetest gospel. He's already proclaimed the reason that we can walk into the throne room of Almighty God is because Jesus is walking right in front of us. He goes before us, bearing with him the blood of the covenant, his own blood, that he shed on Calvary's cross to redeem us from our sins. But the writer here urges us not merely to enter, but to come boldly before the throne of grace. Who is it who emboldens us? Of course, it's Christ himself. And the first way he does this is by his sympathy. Sympathy is so important, isn't it? Think about the times in your life when you've gone through especially difficult things. Who was it who it was most comforting to talk to? Wasn't it people who sympathized with you? People who had gone through experiences similar to yours and knew how it felt. Of course, those people are the most comforting in time of trouble. In our text, the writer reassures us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Jesus understands our temptations as believers and the trials that we go through and the difficult things that we encounter because he went through the same things himself. He was subject to temptation. When you struggle against greed, against pride, When you struggle against thinking lustful thoughts or speaking hurtful words, you can take heart. You can be emboldened by the fact that Jesus stands shoulder to shoulder to you, with you, in your trial. He's with you. He understands. He felt that agonizing pull of temptation himself. In fact, the temptation must have been much sharper for Jesus than for any of us. One Christian writer said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full 
what temptation means. This experience of Jesus ought to embolden all of us. In chapter 2 of Hebrews we read, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Finally, here's someone who truly knows what you're going through, someone who experienced that awful temptation himself. He truly can understand you. He truly can help you. But of course, we have to confess that we've often failed to resist temptation. We've often yielded to temptation. But we may be emboldened by the fact that Jesus never failed. He kept his heavenly Father's will perfectly so that that perfection could be credited to your account. He offered that spotless perfection on the cross of Calvary so that your soiled and spotted record might be washed completely clean in the blood of your Savior so that you might be emboldened to come before the throne of God to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, so that you might believe and receive the blessing of forgiveness from a Father who says to you, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. We'll conclude our worship this morning with stanzas 1, 2, and 5 of hymn 456. Thank you.